All right, brothers and sisters in the faith, thank you for attending our Bible History Project. So today we're going to discuss basically Deuteronomy chapter 12, 13, and 14. Deuteronomy chapter 12 is all about worship, 13 is about idolatry, and 14 is about tithing. So we'll tie all of them together under the theme, true worship which begins in Deuteronomy chapter 12. Why must we be interested about true worship? That's because we know from the very beginning, the purpose of Yahuwah God in calling us is so that we can worship him. Worship is a privilege because not everyone can acceptably fulfill this duty to worship. And so because we have been purchased by the blood of Mashiach, we now can truly worship our Father. However, what is the worship that the Father seeks? This is what Yahusha taught us in John 4.23. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. So what is the worship that the Father himself seeks? Yahusha says it is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And so for those who are true worshipers, because one becomes a true worshiper when he is covered by the shed blood of Yahusha, if he or she has been baptized into the one body of the Christ, this person becomes a true worshiper and now has the great privilege to worship. But what kind of worship? Does the Father see when we worship in spirit and truth? This is why to understand what the purpose and meaning of that statement is, we must go back to Deuteronomy chapter 12, 13, and 14, because they give us the form, the structure of true worship that we follow as a pattern. So let's go jump to Deuteronomy chapter 12 and the verses 5. But you are to seek the place Yahuwah your God will choose from among all your tribes to put his name there for his dwelling. That place, to that place, you must go. And so what's one of the principles of true worship? Worship that is true cannot be fulfilled. It cannot be done in just any place. It has to be done in the one place that God will choose. Which is this one place that God chooses where we must conduct the true worship? It is the place where his name is there at his dwelling. This is why we need to understand what that meant to give us an idea in Deuteronomy 12, 8 to 11. You are not to do as we do here today. I want to pause there for a while. Moses is referring to what they were doing in the wilderness, basically in the wilderness, although they had a tabernacle, there was no strict command concerning worship and the gathering around the tabernacle. However, when they are to go to the place of rest, the promised land or Canaan, things are going to change. Things are going to shift. And so Moses says, you are not to do as we do here today. Everyone as he sees fit. And so basically back in the wilderness days, they did whatever they wanted in terms of worshiping Yahuwah. And Yahuwah, uh, Moses says, since you have not yet reached the resting place and the inheritance Yahuwah your God is giving you, but you will cross the Jordan and settle in the land Yahuwah your God is giving you as an inheritance. And he will give you rest from all your enemies around you so that you will live in safety. Then to the place Yahuwah, your God, will choose as a dwelling for his name. There you are to bring everything I command you, your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts and all the choice possessions you have vowed to Yahuwah. And so what is this place mentioned by Moses where the name of God is placed, the name Yahuwah, where they are to gather as the place of worship, we know it is the tabernacle. Because during the days of the wilderness wanderings, 
and even the early stages of the people of God dwelling in the promised land, the place where they are to gather together for worship is the tabernacle because it is there where the sacrifices are made. It is there where the Ark of the Covenant has been placed. It is there that Yahuwah reveals himself by means of fire, which represents his glory. And so we know when they go from place to place, they are to follow where the tabernacle goes. However, eventually, once the enemies have been defeated and they live in safety, what would be the fulfillment of this place, this tabernacle that has been used for worship? Let's read Second Chronicles 7, 15 to 16. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. So what is the place? The fulfillment of that one place where Yahuwah says his people must go to to conduct the true worship. It is the temple. The tabernacle is like the temple. The design of the temple follows the tabernacle. That's because the tabernacle basically is a portable temple. But once they settle into the promised land, in the place called Jerusalem, they are to erect the one place designated for worship, the temple, which bears the name of Yahuwah, our God. So the true worship. Uh, brethren, requires that we worship in just one, not two, but one designated place. We don't get to choose where we are to gather and worship. God is the one who chooses, and he chooses his temple. Well, what else is included in that structure, that form of worship that Yahuwah gives to his people in Deuteronomy? 12, 13, and 14, be careful not to sacrifice your burnt offerings just anywhere you like. You may do so only at the place Yahuwah will choose within one of your tribal territories. There you must offer your burnt offerings and do everything I command you. And so what else is part of that form of true worship? We have, to, they were required to bring burnt offerings offerings but take note where must they sacrifice the burnt offerings not just anywhere they like but where the one place right the one place designated by Yahuwah our God so you can already see there's a kind of pattern when it comes to true worship it centers around the one place the one place of true worship which is the temple that bears the name of Yahuwah our God. So the burnt offerings, the burnt sacrifices are presented to him at that place. Are we still required to give burnt offerings to Yahuwah our God? What is your answer? No, right? Why? Because Yahushua completed that work. He offered himself as a sacrifice so that we don't have to do that. However, during the Christian era, during our time, how can we fulfill this part of the true worship? Romans 12, verse 1. So then, my friends, because of God's great mercy to us, I appeal to you, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to God, dedicated to his service and pleasing to him. This is the true worship that you should offer. So how can we satisfy that part of true worship where Yahuwah God requires his people to sacrifice burnt offerings. Bible says we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. What does that mean? We go to Yahuwah Abba, to Yahusha HaMashiach, with repentant hearts. Do you know what the word repentance means? It means basically to agree. And so to agree with Yahusha, to agree with Yahuwah that we must give our life dedicated to his service. Basically, what that means is we offer ourselves as a living 
sacrifice. It means Yahuwah God and Yahusha, the Christ, gets to make the decisions in our life. Are you willing to do that? Because if before the burnt sacrifice only represented animals that were sacrificed or killed and the blood poured on the altar during our time, that sacrifice that Yahuwah wants from us, the true worship, is when we give ourselves completely. It's called absolute surrender. When we say to our loving Abba, do with me as you please. Whatever you want from my life, that is what I will do. Can we do that? Because that's part of true worship, surrendering ourselves to him as a living sacrifice. Now, what else is an important element of that structure or form of worship introduced in the book of Deuteronomy 12, 5 down to 6? Out of the territory of all your tribes, Yahuwah will choose the one place where the people are to come into his presence and worship him. There you are to offer your sacrifices that are to be burned and, take note, your other sacrifices, your tithes and your offerings, the gift that you promised to Yahuwah, your free will offerings and the firstborn of your cattle and sheep. And so in addition to the sacrifice of burnt offerings that was given in the one place, the temple that bears the name of Yahuwah. What also is required by Yahuwah God when they go to the temple or that one place. The other sacrifices. Like what? The tithes, the offerings, the gifts. And so this is the spirit of giving that was introduced by Yahuwah God as part and parcel of true worship during the time of the Old Testament. Now, what are the tithes mentioned here by the Holy Scriptures? Deuteronomy 14, 22 to 23, set aside, set aside a tithe. What does that mean? I think you know what it means. A tenth. What does a tenth mean? 10%. A tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Remember, the people back then, they basically lived off the land. And so their livelihood came from the land. And so they were required that they would give tenth of all their proceeds from the fields that, that are produced. So the tenth of all that your fields produce each year is the time. Then go to the one place. Take note. It's about going to the one place, the temple, where Yahuwah, your God, has chosen to be worshipped. And there in his presence, eat the tithes of your grain, wine, and olive oil, and the firstborn of your cattle and sheep. Do this so that you may learn to honor Yahuwah, your God, always. So part of the tithe includes some of the food offerings. And part of that is actually eaten and shared in fellowship meals together with the other servants of Yahuwah, our God. So the tithe was a command and is included in part of their worship every time they would go to the temple. Not only that, there are different kinds of tithing. And one is in verse 28, at the end of every third year, bring the entire tithe of that year's harvest and store it in the nearest town. Give it to the Levites who will receive no allotment of land among you, as well as to the foreigners living among you, the orphans and the widows in your town so they can eat and be satisfied. Then Yahuwah, your God, will bless you in all your work. So Yahuwah God, through this command of tithing, is training his people to be givers, to be generous in their giving, and it also mentions here the purpose of the giving. It is to cover the needs of the Levites, the orphans, and the widows, and the poor and helpless in the land. So that's the purpose of the tithing. Because the Levites did, was, were not included when they were given out land. And the orphans and widows, they are helpless in nature. So they are poor and needy. 
and the tithing proceeds from the tithing is given to satisfy their needs. Of course, in the New Testament, are we still giving tithes? We know it's part of worship, yes, but instead of giving up, quote-unquote, tithing, what are we instructed to give? 2 Corinthians 9, 7-9, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. According to the Holy Scriptures, during the time of the followers of Yahushua, the Yahushaim, what are we instructed to do in terms of our giving? Because giving is part of worship. And so in terms to giving, what are we, what is being called upon us to do? Bible says we give according to these decisions in our heart. And so if we are giving from our heart, we don't give reluctantly. What does it mean to give reluctantly? They give, but only because of, the res because of response under pressure, right? They're only giving out of pressure. Well, how do people give because of pressure? Maybe people keep calling them. Can you give, right? Solicitation is what it's called. Or maybe in their sermons, they keep repeating the same sermon again and again and again, right? Or maybe they receive a visitation and then they're given envelopes. And so when they respond to pressure like that, when they give, well, they're not giving from their own heart. They're giving reluctantly. That's not the kind of giving that Yahushua is talking about. What kind of giving? Giving from your heart. And when we give from our heart, we give cheerfully, right? And when we give cheerfully, what is the promise of God? Bible says God will generously provide all you need. Do you have faith in this, brethren, that when we give out of our heart, Yahuwah will provide for all our needs. Not only that, the Bible says their good deeds will be remembered forever. And so these are the sacrifices that also honor Yahuwah our God. So the true worship involves that one place. So we go to that one designated place to conduct worship, not just wherever we want to go. Number two, we offer self as a living sacrifice, absolute surrender to the will of God and Yahusha. What else? We give our offerings from our hearts. What also is part of that form of true worship? Let's read the book of Deuteronomy 12, 17 to 18. But you may not eat your offerings in your hometown neither the tithe of your grain and new wine and olive oil, nor the firstborn of your flocks and herds, nor any offering to fulfill a vow, nor your voluntary offerings, nor your sacred offerings. You must eat these in the presence of Yahuwah your God at the place he will choose, at one place. Eat them there with your children, your servants, and the Levites who live in your towns, celebrating in the presence of Yahuwah your God, in all you do. So it also was included in that worship, a fellowship gathering. Because back then, when there was an offering given to Yahuwah God, part of that offering is to be enjoyed by the offeror. This is why when you had different kinds of sacrifices, it also meant that there are different meals that the people who came for worship are to enjoy together. This is why when the people of God met at the one place, guess what happens? It strengthens the unity of the people because it strengthens the fellowship of the people. This is what was practiced so that the, the brethren who were gathered together in that one place, they saw each other in the spirit of fellowship and love. And what do you think happens when we meet and share food together in that spirit? It strengthens our love for each other, right? 
it strengthens our unity. This is why Yahuwah God said, you know, you do not eat that offering, part of your offering in your own hometown. Bring it in that one place. So every time you worship together, you also share a meal together. And that was important to Yahuwah God. And not only in the Old Testament, but even in the New Testament, that element of fellowship, that element of meeting together, being together and sharing a meal was very important. In the book of Acts, chapter 2, 46 to 47, day after day, they met as a group in the temple. They had their meals together in their homes, eating with glad and humble hearts, praising God and enjoying the goodwill, goodwill of all the people. And every day, the Lord added to the group those who were being saved. You see, when the, the people of God meet together, it often included meals. This is where the idea of the potluck came from. When we came from the place where, uh, of, of the place of our upbringing, the former religion that we came from, remember? Oftentimes, we would meet together in groups and we would share a meal together. And we would bring other people and share the meal together with them. And in so doing, we also share our faith. And as a result of that, what does Yahuwah God do? The Bible says the Lord added to their group daily. Because when the people of God meet together and strangers see that fellowship of love, sharing a meal together, having the same faith, loving Yahuwah God in the beauty of holiness, it becomes attractive to other people. They become curious. They want to know more about Yahuwah God. And so that's the same thing. That's the same concept. When people meet together for worship, it should be to edify one another because of their goodwill towards each other, because they share a meal together. And when people share a meal together, what also are they able to do? Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, let us be concerned for one another, to help one another, to show love and to do good. Let us not give up the habit of meeting together. Some are doing instead. Let us encourage one another all the more since you see that the day of the Lord is coming near. And so when we meet together for fellowship, we also give ourselves the opportunity to help one another. And this is why there should be no such thing as a person who says, I, want, I just want to worship God on my own. <laughs> That's not the idea of God. The idea of God involves worshiping together, fellowshipping together. Because what Yahuwah God wants is for people to connect together. Because when they're together, they help each other, encourage each other. And this is all the more important as the day of the Lord is coming nearer. If you think about it, brothers and sisters, the commandments of God... Do you know what it fosters? It fosters communion, togetherness. Just look at the commandments of God. Remember what Yahushua said when he summarized the Ten Commandments and the laws of Moses and the prophets? He said it could be summarized into how many commands? Two. Love God, love your fellow minister, love your self. The commandments is all about relationship. Relationship with God, relationship with your fellow man, and the two are related because your relationship with each other affects your relationship with who? Yahuwah God. And so the purpose of worship, one of its purpose is not just to glorify God, but what Yahuwah God wants as an outgrowth of worship is when we learn to love each other in fellowship. You get that? That's an important part of true worship. What else? Let's read. Um, so far, we have the four. What else is an important part of true worship? Deuteronomy 12, verse 7. There in the presence of Yahuwah your God, you and your family shall eat and, and shall rejoice in everything you have put your hands to. Because Yahuwah your God has blessed you. What also is the purpose of worship? The Bible says it must be done with joy. In the presence of Yahuwah, our God. It's not true worship. If after the worship, you are 
angry, you are grieved, you are burdened. No, what should be is that before worship, you may be grieved, sad, depressed, burdened, but after worship, you should feel something different. What is that? Joy. This is why the Bible says, in the presence of Yahuwah your God, you and your family shall eat and rejoice in the blessings of Yahuwah our God. So the purpose, a big part of true worship, it should be filled with joy. We should learn how to experience the happiness that Yahuwah God wants us to feel. Because I don't know why we have this idea. Because I still remember growing up. And even from people I know who were from the former religion where we came from. Where there seems to be this idea where we're not allowed to be happy here on earth. We're not allowed to be happy when we gather together as God's people. That's not right. The Bible, when it comes to the gatherings, should be filled with joy. As a matter of fact, there are three major gatherings for the people of Israel, where they're required to go to Jerusalem and to the temple, right? The Passover, what else? Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, and the Tabernacles. And they're all celebrated with a spirit of joy. It's supposed to be joyful occasions. Yahuwah God is not a God of sadness. He's a God of joy. And we need to incorporate that in the way we meet together. This is why in the book of Psalms, how do we show our joy? Shout for joy to Yahuwah, all the earth. Worship Yahuwah with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that Yahuwah is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people. The sheep of his pasture enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name for Yahuwah is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. That's the spirit of worship. We should receive the presence of Yahuwah God. And in so doing, we need to have joy. When we have joy, it's like a gift that we can give to Yahuwah our God because we have joy. Because when we think and are thankful about the, the love that Yahuwah God has given us, if we truly have faith and believe that, the outgrowth is what? Joy. This is why the early Christians, although they were persecuted, they often met together with joy. Acts 2, 46, 47, we read this earlier. The believers had a single purpose and went to the temple every day. They were joyful. And humble as they ate at each other's homes and shared their food. At the same time, they praised God and had the goodwill of all the people. Every day, the Lord saved people and they were added to the group. And so what was one of the powerful influences that the early Yahushans had was the fact that when they met together, it was filled with joy. And so it, people were attracted to that. Not just the food, although, although that was a big part of it, Right. Especially when much of the work of the Yahushaim focus on the work for the, for the poor, the poor of the people. Because the poor of the people, they needed a lot of help. And the followers of Yahusha often use their homes as places where they can offer food to help the poor and needy. At the same time, they also introduce them to other believers. And they had joy. And that joy led to others joining the group. And so they grew Every day, the Lord saved people, and they were added to that group. So when it comes to true worship, worship in one place. There's a designated place where we must gather for worship, the temple that bears the name of Yahuwah our God. We need to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, right? We need to give our offering, our monetary contributions from our hearts. We need to have fellowship with each other. We need to experience the joy in Yahuwah's presence. And one way we do that is by our hymn singing. When we sing the hymns from our heart, when we sing the hymns from our mind and ponder upon the great blessings that Yahuwah God, Yahusha has done for us, we cannot help but feel that joy. And that joy is a gift that we can offer to Yahuwah, our God. So we can do all these things, right? Offer self as a living sacrifice, 
give our offering from our hearts, have fellowship with each other. Although we cannot do that by means of sharing meals, we can share our, ourselves with each other. We can continue to be available, although it is through Zoom. Um, but soon, hopefully, we can have a more robust form of fellowship. We can also experience the joy of Yahuwah's presence. But how about the first one? Worship in one designated place. Back then, during the days of the Old Testament, where was that one designated place? The temple in a place called Jerusalem. And so the people, they were called to go there for worship. Well, how about during our days? We have no temple. How can we be gathered together? Let's read the book of John 4, 20 to 21. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship? This was the Samaritan woman. And so she's asking Yahusha because Yahusha goes to her. And she's surprised because a Jew should not be talking with Samaritans because there's this long, this hatred among Samaritans and Jews that has a long history, right? And so she's shocked. Why is Yahushua speaking to me? And so she's asking Yahushua, why, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship? Well, we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worship. Yahushua replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will, will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is look, looking for those who will worship him that way. And so how can we? What is that one place? That we can be gathered in so that we can worship Yahuwah in spirit and in truth. Yahushua says that time is coming and it's already here. So it's already here now, today. When we will no longer need to go to a place like Jerusalem or the temple as a structure to be gathered so that we can worship the Father in spirit and truth. Why did Yahusha say that? Where then is that one designated place where we must be gathered? And this one place that bears the name of Yahuwah is the place where Yahuwah's presence will be. What was that place before? Second Chronicles 7, 15 and 16. My eyes will be open. My ears will pay attention to those prayers at this place. I have chosen and declared this temple holy so that my name may be placed there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. That's the temple, right? Yahushua says, uh, the time has come when you no longer need that physical temple. And you will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And so where is that one place? What is your answer? Where is that one designated place where we must be gathered together for worship? Where is it? <laughs> Where do you think it is? What, let's find out. Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the spirit of God lives in you. God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. So according to the Holy Scriptures, what represents the temple of God today what is it you those who are baptized into the body of yahusha and so if before worship involving the spirit of yahuwah god involved the tabernacle right eventually it became the temple the temple was pointing to its ultimate fulfillment in whom Yahusha. So today that's the body of Yahusha. And so that one designated place where we must be gathered together to worship is who? Yahusha. The temple today is now us, the body of Yahusha. 
And so as members of the assembly of Yahusha, we are in that one designated place. We are in the body of Yahusha. And so because we are in the body of Yahusha, what did the apostle Paul tell us? The spirit of God dwells in you. And so now we can carry out the work of worshiping the father in spirit and truth, right? Because as we gather together in the body of Yahusha, we can receive the power of the Holy Spirit. This is why it's so important that we understand the structure of worship. However, it's, not, it's important not just to understand the structure and form of worship. Most of all, brothers and sisters, we have to learn how to preserve the true worship. Because if you study the history of Israel, was the true worship, the pattern of true worship, was it preserved? No, it was not preserved, right? Yahuwah God, he knows what Israel is capable of doing. This is why the first thing that Yahuwah God reminds them of, one of the first things is be careful to obey all the commands I give you. You must not add anything to them or subtract anything from them. And so God's going to give them instructions. And one of the first instructions, one of the first set of commands that Yahuwah God is giving to them is what they need to do immediately after they enter the land. Do you know what it was? Do you know what the first command was? What they had to do right away? As soon as they get into the, the land where they will, that they will inherit so that they can become a people of God. Do you know what Yahuwah said that they had to do first so that worship that would be introduced would be preserved? This is what he said, 12, 1, 2, 3. These are the decrees and regulations you must you must be careful to obey when you live in the land of Yahuwah, the God of your ancestors is giving you. You must obey them as long as you live. When you drive out the nations that live there. So that's the first thing. You have to drive out the nations that live there. But it doesn't stop there. Take a look at what happens next. What is the other command? You must destroy all the places where they worship their gods. High on the mountains, up on the hills, and under every green tree. Break down their altars and smash their sacred pillars. Burn their Asherah poles and cut down their carved idols. Completely erase the names of their gods. And so what was the first thing that Yahuwah God wanted them to do? To destroy the false worship, right? The pagan forms of worship. Break down the altars, smash the sacred pillars, destroy the places where they worship other gods, why is Yahuwah God giving them this instruction? Well, in Deuteronomy 12:4, do not worship Yahuwah your God in the way these pagan peoples worship their gods. Because if Yahuwah God gives them the form of true worship, but there is there are these people who, who surround them with pagan worship, what can happen? The pagans can influence the way worship is conducted. Do you believe that? And that really can happen. This is why Yahuwah God says, look, I've given you how I am to be worshipped. But you have to get rid of pagan influences. Why? How do they begin to influence um, the people of God? In Deuteronomy 12, when Yahuwah, your God, goes ahead of you and destroys the nations, and you drive them out and live in their land, do not fall into the trap of following their customs and worshiping their gods. Do not inquire about their gods, saying, how do these nations worship their gods? I want to follow their example. And so people of Israel, they were very curious. And sometimes because of their curiosity, if those pagan shrines and altars and places of worship for the false gods are there, What's going to happen? They, they, they will be curious and their curiosity will lead them to be influenced by pagan customs and pagan worship. And so Yahuwah God wants to get rid of that possibility, destroy their temples and their customs and worships. How will they do that? I mean, how is it possible that pagan influence can infiltrate the people of God? 
Deuteronomy 13, of a prophet or one who foretells by dreams, appears among you and announces to you a miraculous sign or wonder. And if the sign or wonder of which he has spoken takes place, and he says, let us follow other gods, gods you have not known, and let us worship them. You must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. Yahuwah, your God, is testing you to find out whether you love him with all your heart and with all your soul. And so how, what can those who belong to pagan religions do to influence the people of God in their worship? Well, there, there will be those who will claim to have dreams, right? And their dreams come true. And nowadays, we have many people who claim to have dreams and their dreams come true, right? I mean, I get a lot of messages and they tell me about their dreams. I mean, I'm not going to judge anyone's dreams, but brethren, we base our decision not because of dreams. We base our decisions because of the word of God, right? I mean, even if the dream comes true, it doesn't mean it comes from God. Now, does it mean that if we have a dream, it's bad? No. Are there dreams that could possibly come from God? Yeah. But our basis for making decisions should not be dreams. You get that? Because if you're going to base your decisions on a dream, the dreams can be caused by a whole so many things, right? That's not our basis. But there are those, there were those back during the days of the Old Testament who used dreams in connection with signs and miraculous wonders to convince the people of God to worship other gods. And so the Bible says, if there are those who will entice you to do that, the Bible says he's testing you. You're being tested. Who do you love more? Do you love Yahuwah, your God? Or are you going to be tempted to follow these other gods? What else? How else can pagan worship influence the followers of Yahuwah? Six to eight, if, you, if your very own brother or your son or daughter or the wife you love or your closest friend secretly entices you, saying, let us go and worship other gods, gods that neither you nor your fathers have known, gods of the peoples around you, whether near or far, from one end of the land to the other, do not yield to him or listen to him. Show him no pity. Do not spare him or shield him. And so... Sometimes they will use our loved ones to introduce us to these false gods. And so for us to protect ourselves, our God that we worship is who? Yahuwah. This is why when it comes to the true worship, it really begins with identifying and knowing who the true God is. Right? Because even if you follow all the different elements of the true worship, <laughs> you give offering, you offer yourself as a living sacrifice, you share your meal with others in fellowship. If you follow all those things, but you're worshiping the wrong God, <laughs> then it's not the true worship anymore. True worship means at its foundation, worshiping the true God. This is why worshiping in spirit and truth requires knowing who the true God is. But the problem is when you are in a place that's influenced by pagan ideology, that true God may be transformed. You might end up worshiping not the true God, Yahuwah, but someone else, right? This is why Yahuwah God is very concerned. And so how else could they have been uh, influenced? 12 to 15. If you hear, if you hear it said about one of the towns Yahuwah your God is giving, to, uh, giving you to live in, that wicked men have arisen among you and have led the people of their own, of their town astray, saying, let us go and worship other gods gods you have not known, then you must inquire, probe, and investigate it thoroughly. And if it is true, and it has been proved that it is detestable thing has been done among you, you must certainly put the sword on all who live in that town, destroy it completely, both its people and its livestock. Yahuwah God is becoming intense here. If there are towns where Yahuwah God said, I will give to you as your inheritance, and in those towns, there's uh, an activity that influences people to worship other gods aside from Yahuwah, then they were to take drastic measures, destroy it completely after you inquire, probe, and investigate so that they would not be a source of influence. And so why was Yahuwah God so concerned 
to the point that he gave this command concerning eradicating pagan influences of worship. Why was he concerned about that? Deuteronomy 12, 31, you must not worship Yahuwah your God the way the other nations worship their gods, for they perform for their gods every detestable act that Yahuwah hates. They even burn their sons and daughters as sacrifices to their gods. Did you know that the, the, the gods of the pagans in the land of Canaan were known for their fertility worships, fertility worship, their fertility gods, which involve immoral sexual activity? This is why when you go to Canaan and do some archaeological work or digs, you will uncover different uh, idols that depict women and men doing sexual acts. That's really what Canaanite worship involved. These are the detestable things that Yahuwah hates. Not only that, the Bible says they even burn their sons and daughters as sacrifices to their gods. And I think you know that specific God. There's, there was a specific God, so-called God, in the Canaanite area, the land of promise, where the God required them to offer their kids. Remember who that God was? What's the name of that God? That false God. His name was Molech. Molech. Yeah, Molech. Uh, the practice of Molech worship included Canaanites offering up their children by placing them alive on a burning hot metal statue of Molech, while drumbeats drowned out the screams of their tortured infants. This is why Yahuwah was very much concerned. He wanted to eradicate that influence. Get rid of these temples, these shrines, these altars that involve Molech worship, Baal worship, because they do detestable things in the sight of Yahuwah our God. But you know, I mean, when you think about it, who on earth would do that, right? I mean, if you're an Israelite and you know Yahuwah God, you probably, there's just no way, no way I could be influenced to do that, Right? Don't underestimate the cunning powers of the devil. <laughs> because remember, Moloch worship, idol worship, behind that, the architect is who? The devil. And the devil is very deceptive, right? This is why Yahuwah God wanted to destroy all possible instruments of the devil. But they would not listen. And so when we look at the history, the history of the Israelites following Moloch, you're going to be amazed, because according to scriptures, you know, Solomon, <laughs> right? The wisest man who ever lived. I mean, if you were going to think of people who would be deceived, it would not include Solomon. Solomon's a wise guy. <laughs> but if you look at 1 Kings eleven seven, Solomon sanctioned the worship of Molech, building a temple to that idol, Molech. Imagine that. King Ahaz of Judah gave his own son to Molech. 2 Kings 16.3. One of the great crimes of the northern tribes of Israel was the worship of Molech. This is why Israel was the first to fall, right? Leading to the Assyrian captivity. That was the, like the, the, the last straw when they worshiped Molech. 2 Kings 17.17. King Manasseh of Judah gave his son to Molech. 2 Kings 21.6. And up to the days of King Josiah of Judah, Molech worship continued because he destroyed the place of worship to that idol. Second Kings 23 in the verses 10. And so when you think about Molech and how they're required to offer their sons and their daughters to, to that false god, you, you say to yourself, it's just improbable, right? There's just no way this is going to happen. But it did. It did. When we look at the history of Israel, when we look at the way they worship, what can we say? Look at this. Kings 16, 32. First, Ahab built a temple and an altar for Baal in Samaria. Then he set up an Asherah pole. He did more to provoke the anger of Yahuwah, the God of Israel, than any of the other kings of Israel before him. This is why Israel fell, right? Well, that's not the king of Judah. The king of Judah is different. Okay, let's go to a king of Judah. Manasseh was 12 years old. <laughs> 12-year-old king, look at that. Huh? 
when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem for 55 years. He did what was evil in Yahuwah's sight, following the detestable practices of the pagan nations that Yahuwah had driven from the land ahead of, ahead of the Israelites. And so here's a king. What kind of king is he? Evil or good? Evil king. You would think if he's an evil king, then, you know, Yahuwah God would take him out as soon as possible. How long did he serve for? 55 years. Why did Yahuwah God allow this king to rule for 55 years, even though he's evil? Because Yahuwah God is giving them their freedom to do what they want and see what's in their hearts. So he allowed this king to rule for 55 years. And what did he do? He practiced the detestable acts of the pagan nation. That's Manasseh. You know what he did? Let's read. Three down to four. He rebuilt the pagan shrines his father Hezekiah had broken down. He constructed altars for the images of Baal and set up a sherapos. He also bowed before all the powers of the heavens and worshipped them. He built pagan altars in, inside the temple of Yahuwah, the place where Yahuwah had said, my name will remain in Jerusalem forever. And so what do you see happening here? What I see happening with the people of Israel? Yes, they worship Yahuwah, but they mixed their worship of Yahuwah with pagan worship. Yes, they used the temple that bears the name of Yahuwah God. But they also brought in altars that belonged to other gods. And so there was a mixture of worship. Sometimes they would worship Yahuwah. Sometimes they would worship Baal. And so they would exchange the names from time to time. They would say it's the same God, just different names. They mixed it. It's called syncretization. This is why Yahuwah God wanted to remove all those pagan altars and worship places. Because of the way it's able to infiltrate true worship. So that it's, it's no longer true pure worship. But worship mixed with pagan ideologies. But he doesn't stop there. What else does Manasseh do? Manasseh also sacrificed his own sons in the fire in the valley of Ben-Hinnom. He practiced sorcery, divination, and witchcraft, and he consulted with mediums and psychics. He did much that was evil in Yahuwah's sight, arousing his anger. Manasseh even took a carved idol that he made and set it up in God's temple, the very place where God had told David and his son Solomon, my name will be honored forever in this temple and in Jerusalem, the city I've chosen from among all the tribes of Israel. This is why after Israel fell, Judah did not learn their lesson. Judah also fell, and both of them fell because of one reason. What is that? Mixed worship. They weren't able to preserve the true worship. They incorporated pagan worship in the way they worship God. And so because of that, guess what? The false worship chewed them up. It ate them up alive. And they became over, overwhelmed by idolatry to the point that when the prophet Jeremiah came into the scene, it was too late. I mean, they would not listen to, to him. They would listen to the other prophets. They would not listen to Jeremiah. And so he says, how long will this be in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies? Indeed, they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart who try to make my people forget my name by their dreams, which everyone tells his neighbor as her fathers forgot my name for Baal. You see, in the process of changing names because they were mixed worship in the same temple, they had places, they had altars for Yahuwah in the same temple and they had an altar for Baal. And so the people worshiping, not knowing this sometimes, who am I worshiping? And so they would exchange the names. They would trade that they would exchange the name of Yahuwah for Baal. Can you imagine that? And we know what happened there. Yahuwah, God punished them. God sent them to Babylon. 
In Babylon, what happened? The pagan population of Babel ridiculed them because they believed knowing the name of a person's deity gave them power over them. Pagans hid the names of their deities. That was a pagan practice. They hide the names of their deities. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> Where do you think that came from? Babylon. Pagan influence. Hearing the pagans using the name of God in jest was outrageous to the people of Israel. So they stopped using the name entirely. They even made uttering it carry the death penalty. When reading scripture aloud, they taught to substitute the name Y-H-U-H with Adonai, my sovereign, or Hashem, the sacred name. Pagans commonly concealed the names of their deities. Mystagogues taught an initiate the mysteries of their pattern of worship. The pupil progressed through grade levels. As an initiate passed into higher levels of knowledge, they would eventually learn the name of the deity they were worshiping or a secretive theonym like Hashem, which only they could interpret. This is the way Freemasonry still operates today. So pagan ideas that influenced Israel and Judah led them to idolatry, which led to the, uh, the captivity. And in captivity, guess what? The pagans continue to influence them. So when they came out of the, the captivity, part of the pagan custom of hiding the name of the God, of God, is what they adopted. This is why after they came out of uh, the temple, uh, after they came out of captivity in the second temple period, and at around 5th century BC, Jews decided that the name, that name of God was ineffable, too holy to be uttered aloud. This was based on a particular interpretation of the third commandment. Thou shalt not take the, no the name of the Lord thy God in. Vain. This is why even in the translations of scriptures in English, the name of God has been concealed by L-O-R-D. This was a pagan influence. And so now people are not able to worship the true God. Because when it comes to true worship, it, becomes, it starts off with knowing who the true God is. And so for a long time, brethren, we have been worshiping a God, the name of which we do not know. How then can we say we're worshiping the true God? This is why Yahuwah God wanted to prevent all of that. That's why his first command, when he, once they entered the land, was not only to get rid of the people there who were practicing idolatry, but what? Get rid of the what? The altars, the places of worship. Because pagan influence will destroy true worship. During our time, of course, we're not going to, we're not going to destroy all these worship places. But the command still is the same. What is that? Romans 12, 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So if we want to truly worship God, in a way that's pleasing to him. Brethren, don't copy the customs and behaviors of this world. This is why when it comes to the influence of pagans, when it comes to true worship, it has completely ruined the true worship, right? Started with the pagans that caused true worship to involve other false gods which caused the people of God to adopt another pagan influence to cover the name of God. And then during the Christian era, after the death of the apostles, again, pagans influenced the concept of the God that we worship, right? How so? Well, when Constantine decided to use Christianity as his national religion, what did he do? He forced converted the pagans. Whether you like it or not, you're going to be a Christian. And so he forced baptized a lot, of the Christ, a lot of the people into Christianity. Guess what happened? The pagans influenced the Christian faith. This is why what happened to the idea of one God. It became now one God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Trinitarian God. This is why if we truly want to worship God in spirit and truth, it begins with restoration. 
Why do we need restoration? Because it has been corrupted by pagan influence. It's a good thing. The religion that where we came from learned about the true God because we learned that the only true God is who? The Father, right? That was part of restoration. But included in that restoration is to also undo the pagan influence of covering the name of God. Because worshiping God by knowing his name, Yahuwah, is an important, significant part of the true worship. Wouldn't you say? Because how can we say we have true worship if we don't even know the name of the God we worship? Does that make sense? When the Bible tells us, honor his name, love his name, worship his name. Okay, what's his name? Oh, well, he doesn't have a name. What? He doesn't have a name? Well, doesn't mention the Bible. It's been covered. L-O-R-D. If we want to truly worship God, we need to know who he is. The Father. Yes, he's the Father. What's his name? The Bible says it's Yahuwah. This is why the process of restoration is so key. So that we can say our worship is in spirit and in truth. If you look at the uh, template for true worship, right? It begins with that one designated place. Where is that? Body of Yahushua. Offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Give offering from your heart. Have fellowship with each other. Experience joy in Yahuwah's presence. What do you notice about these different parts of the, the structure of worship? What do you notice about that? Oftentimes, when we worship God, unfortunately, we think of in terms of these things. How can God bless me today? How can God help me today? We go to worship because we want to be blessed. And there's nothing wrong with that. But when you look at the structure and the elements of worship there, what do you notice? When we worship, our mindset should be not what God can give me but what I can give to God. Do you notice that there? Worship God in the one designated place. You go there. You bring yourself there. You give to God your attendance, basically. Right? You give yourself to God. You see the process of giving? We give our offering to God. We give our meals toward, with our, to, to God and enjoy fellowship with each other. We give to God joy in singing hymns of praise to him. Because that's what God wants. Because when it comes to worship God, it has to be about who? About God, not us. Because when we come for worship, we think, okay, what can God bless me with? Okay, I have this problem. I better go to worship service today. I'm sick. I better go to worship service today. The mindset's all wrong. No. Our mindset should be, I want to go to worship so I can give something to Yahuwah my God. To honor him, right? Praise him. Offering. Giving of self. Going there to, to, to uh, worship him in spirit and truth. But you know, like what we said, this is the form, right? This is the form. And Yahusha said to worship God in spirit and in truth. If we're just going to follow this form. And we miss the most important part of true worship. Then this will do us no good. We will not receive the spirit. True worship is good. We need to know who God is. The father. We need to know his name. Yahuwah. We need to follow the form. The elements of true worship. All of this. But we need the spirit. But we cannot receive the spirit. Unless we provide the most important part of true worship. Do you know what that is? There's something else we need to provide. Something else we need to give. So that the worship that we conduct will be fully alive and acceptable to Abba. What is that? Let's read one final passage before we pray. Matthew 22, 37. Yahusha replied, you must love your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Even if we know who the true God is, and even if we know his name, Yahuwah, even if we give offering and give our sacrifices of ourselves and we sing hymns to him, but we lack love, 
All of that is nothing and meaningless. Without love, Apostle Paul said, even if we offer ourselves to be burnt, remember, it's nothing. But love, especially when we love Yahuwah God, with all of our heart, soul, and mind, that's what's going to bring us to the Spirit and experience the presence of our loving Abba. That's why, brethren, when we meet together for worship, let's do so with the purpose of loving Him. Did you get that? And when we learn to love Yahuwah God, worship will not be a burden. It becomes a delight. When we say, I'm going to have to sacrifice this because I want to be with my God. When we say, I'm going to center my schedule so that I can be present with Yahuwah God. When it's time for worship. If love will be our motivation. Worship is not a burden. It's not a chore. It's a delight. A delight. Something that fills us. But it begins with loving Yahuwah Abba. Worship based upon our love for him. When we sing hymns. When we pray to him. When we approach him. It should be because of our love for him. When that is what we practice. Then we are able to practice. Worship in spirit and in truth let us stand brethren and we shall pray together everlasting father yes almighty yahuwah our god Amen. thank you so much yes for you are truly filled with love Amen. when we think about your kindness yes and the depths of your love Amen. we are filled with joy yes father. because we know you have already proven Yes. That you love each and every one of us. Yes. Not only by giving up your son. Yes. But calling us to belong to him. Amen. So thank you so much. Yes. We promise you. We will forever worship you. Yes. In a way that pleases you. Amen. Teach us every day, Father. Yes. To honor you in what we do. Yes, that you will be pleased with each and every one of us. Yahushua, our King, yes. our loving Mashiach. We belong to your body. Yes. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Yes. May you please send it forth to our hearts now. Yes. For we need to receive your presence. Yes. That will strengthen our faith. Amen. Father, please remember your people. Yes. Who are going through difficult times. Yes. May you heal us of our sicknesses. Yes. Teach us to live with joy. Yes. Teach us to love each other. Yes. Teach us to share with, me, with each other. Yes. Your graces and mercies that you shower upon us every day. Amen. It's such a pleasure to worship you. Yes. Father, help us to understand you more. Yes. Because we know part of loving you yes. is using our mind yes. to know you better, to understand you better, yes. so that we can love you deeper. Yes. Father, help us every day yes. to Father. grow in our knowledge of you, yes. that we may shout joy, Father, yes. knowing that we are able to please you, yes. our loving Abba who created all of us. Amen. Please forgive all our sins. Yes. We we ask and beg everything, loving Father, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha Hamashiach. Amen. Amen.